This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another quarantined edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined today by the full crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today we're going to be breaking down Georgia State news. In the basketball world, Georgia State just scheduled a series with Georgia Tech, including two games at Tech, one game coming to Georgia State. Uh, We also have some football coaching staff talk with Dan Ellington, former Georgia State quarterback, joining the Panthers as an offensive assistant coach for the next year. But boys, let's dig into the basketball first. Uh, How do we feel about this Georgia Tech uh, away, away and home series? They said they wouldn't do it again, but they did. I don't know. I feel like there's a Thanos quote somewhere in there, but I haven't seen that movie, so I'll let you guys do that. <laughs> this is we great are inevitable. News. We are inevitable. <laughs> this is great news, though. I, I we have been talking on this podcast for a while now about how Georgia State needs to continue to schedule, you know, these schools in Georgia. Um, I, you know, a lot of schools have balked at scheduling Georgia State, um, but it's so much better for the program if they can continue to get that visibility and, you know, continue to play these Georgia schools. Because, I mean, until you play Georgia State, there's no way for you to prove that you're better than them. So, and I still think Georgia State's the best basketball team in the state. So, Yeah, and I mean, that's a sentiment that we heard echoed a lot during Coach Hunter's tenure here as well. Like when initially we had set up uh, the 2017 like hurricane relief uh, exhibition at Georgia Tech, that was a big focus of his of he wanted to try and encourage more kind of interstate play between the the Mercers, the Georgia Techs, the UGAs, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really exciting to see that come to fruition now, not as an exhibition game, but as an actual regular season series, we'll be able to see starting this next season. Yeah, I mean, the actually playing Georgia Tech in a regular season game obviously is big, important news. But the thing that jumped out to me was the home game being set in 2022 for Georgia State. Pretty much, even with all the madness that's going on right now with coronavirus, the expectation is that that is the worst case for when the arena would be ready, the new arena. So my first thought was, this could be a sign of things to come because I don't think necessarily that when coach Hunter was here, he wasn't calling Georgia tech and saying it'd be great if we played a game and that they were just not at all interested. I think at least some part of it was like teams didn't really want to go to the sports arena and TV doesn't want to put the sports arena on TV, which I, you know, I get it's not, the most aesthetically pleasing arena out there. Uh, So I'm wondering if this is something we can keep expecting to see, whether it's in more, we play at you twice, you come to us once, deals like this. I mean, if you're getting the home game, it doesn't really matter, especially because road wins against ACC opponents aren't a bad thing as far as building your tournament resume. So as far as basketball goes, I don't really care if I'm playing you a bunch on the road because that ends up being a plus for me if it's a win anyway and I think we're possibly going to start seeing more teams regionally start playing Georgia State in a new arena and that that is going to be maybe the biggest impact of the new arena yeah no that's a good point I I wonder obviously that's kind of a bigger 
filled game that's on the schedule right now. But I mean, if you talk about a great way to open that new arena, if it comes in 2022, make that Georgia Tech game your home opener. Like that's, you know, you've got an Atlanta Derby, you've got, you know, the culture of Georgia State kind of transitioning to a new era. And then, you know, if those first two road games go well and you're looking for a three game sweep, you know, maybe something something funky could happen. I also think it is worth just stating it's not a bad time to play Georgia Tech. Uh, they're not on top of the world in the ACC. Uh, we don't even know who's going to be the head coach for 2021 and 2022 for them. I mean, if 2020 goes bad enough for Passner, that might be it. And so I think you you have to say that playing a team like that in their home arena, you know, there's a reason – a lot of times the power conference teams have really good non-conference records and then end up being bad in conference, you know, like Georgia tech probably went into ACC play with a decent record because, you know, those teams tend to play well at home. So it's not a given, but I think worst case scenario, you split the road games at Georgia tech and then you take the rubber match to the home game whenever it is in 2022. I mean, Winning this series is not out of the question and sweeping it isn't out of the question either. But really, it's just because it's an odd number, someone is going to win the series, so make it you, whatever fashion that may be. So in some other basketball news, the absence of news uh, is kind of the the news here. Uh, We haven't really heard anything super concrete or promising on the recruiting front uh, for this year. Brady, what does that kind of mean for looking forward to what this next year's basketball roster could look like on the men's side? Yeah, so in the last few months, we've had Evan Johnson signed his letter of intent point guard out of Virginia, and then we had... Colin Moore, wing-type guy out of Arkansas, played school in Kansas this last year, signed as well. And so as of right now, Georgia State has, quote-unquote, one scholarship left with all of the the different departures that there were. But we know from last year that Coach Lanier doesn't mind pocketing a scholarship into the season because that's how Georgia State ended up signing Ryan Boyce from Memphis in the middle of this past season. So given that there's three guys getting their eligibility in the aforementioned Ryan Boyce in Sasemi from Cincinnati and from Jojo Toppin, and that Damon Wilson is the only real contributor on the team that you graduated. I think that there'd be a worry at this point, you know, adding another person for next year, given all of the guys who can play, It might just be too crowded of a thing, especially if it's like, oh, do we want a grad transfer? Well, if it's another guy who's going to clog up the minutes, you know, then it becomes maybe a situation with too many shifts. And so I guess at this point, it it feels like just this is the roster and that's how it is. And I think that there's like we've talked about a few times, there's a certain amount of projection you have to put on some of the younger guys and the improvements you'd want to see in a year or two of guys like Corey Allen, Justin Roberts, and whatever the senior year Kane Williams looks like. But that's not to say anything uh, can't happen. I'm sure that if the, the dream recruit, whoever grad transfer high school came along and wanted to commit, I'm not sure that coach Lanier would say no, but it seems like given all that is, already coming into the program 
for next season. This is probably it, and that no more news on that front. It feels like a fairly full roster, doesn't it? Like positionally yeah. speaking, I'm not sure where there's a ton of if guys develop, as you say, I'm not sure there's a ton of kind of movement in the way of playing time, which I mean, is good. Like that's what you want, but you know, it kind of makes sense that coach is going to pocket this last scholarship. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've talked about that coach Hunter didn't leave the program in a bad place at all. And I think that coach Lanier has done a good job to supplement that. And I think that he wants there to be this depth, this competition, it's what he's used to with Tennessee, the successful teams he's been a part of there in the last few years had a lot of, it wasn't just the starters. They had bench guys contributing and that's just kind of, it is more of a gamble to rely on, you know, the top players. And so having an ability to build up the program's depth in a way that even the best coach hunter teams didn't really have it certainly would look different than some of the better Georgia state teams, but it maybe is more sustainable year on year. If you aren't relying on the top level players. And that's not to say that the the top guys on the team don't need to perform. Well, I think to have the conference winning team, you're going to need a guy to be standout, but it's a little bit different than it's a lot of DeMarcus Simons and then other guys fill roles and or it's you know Ryan Harrow and RJ Hunter running things and then you've got other guys who have an ability in the starting lineup to contribute but past that because I mean you look at the team that lost to Louisiana Lafayette in the Sunbelt Championship the team we don't ever want to talk about uh 2013-14 there really wasn't anything past the starting lineup that really there wasn't anyone who really made an impact on that team. Marcus Kreider ended up being a good player over four years, but by that point, him and TJ Shipes were playing minutes, but they weren't really the players they ended up being. And it was really a lot of RJ, Ryan Harrow, Manny Atkins, Devontae White, Curtis Washington. And I think that the team that Coach Lanier envisions is a lot deeper than that, and that that is what all of this entails. So obviously we'll be keeping our ear to the ground. If there is any news uh, on that front that changes, you guys will be the first to know. Um, But let's pivot over to football. Biggest elephant in the room, Coach Dan. Welcome to the program. Welcome back to the program. It's like he never left. (laughs) See, I had a sneaky suspicion they were going to do this. Um, I mean, everybody knew that Dan talked about how much he loved Georgia State, even though he was only there two years. You know, he's always been bullish on Coach Sean Elliott. Um, and I guess they were just waiting on him to graduate before they announced it. I'm not sure if that's like a NCAA rule or a Georgia state policy or anything like that, but obviously it's much better for the program. If, you know, you keep the guys who were good, um, and, you know, keep those kind of program cornerstones and put them on the sidelines, you know, let them, you know, be in the ear of some of the guys that are going to be playing for you in the subsequent years that they'll be in the program. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure at least part of it was they couldn't hire a guy who didn't have the college degree. So I'm sure part of it was just university policy of like, you needed something, something to get that paper. Right. Um, I was also expecting Dan to be on the sidelines this next year. 
It is surprising, though, that it is a full-time post. It sounds like it's offensive assistant is the, the name, and it sounds like he is going to work primarily with running backs, but also ping around to the quarterback room and also to the wide receivers. And so it's it sounds like he's a full-time member, one of the 10 people who are allowed to talk to recruits and are going to be on the sideline, you know, it's not just like Dan got hired as a grad assistant, like happens in a lot of college programs. And it's a really unusual situation because guys don't usually get hired like this right out of school like this. But I think it just speaks to Dan Ellington. I, I think that the unique situation is that coach Elliot saw who Dan was, saw he was interested in coaching, saw he cared about the school and wanted to, you know, didn't want him to go to another school and get started. And then from there, either get promoted from within there or get hired somewhere else. I think he was like, I don't want this guy to leave. I think he's got something. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that right from, uh, from the quote that was came out in the press release when Georgia state athletics announced this, when he had uh, nothing but good things to say about Dan Ellington here. I'm quoting Sean Elliott directly here. Dan Ellington is going to bring back everything he brought to the field as a player to our coaching staff. He's very tough. He's got great love for the game and great knowledge. He's got an unbelievable personality that people gravitate to, which will help us tremendously in recruiting. I mean, all of this stuff is nothing new. We've heard from coach Elliott. He's been consistently uh, one of Dan's biggest public supporters. Um, so it's really good to see, how that relationship will develop uh, from just a kind of a mentee coach situation to maybe having coach Elliott kind of help Dan take that next step. If coaching is what he really wants to get into, then seeing that relationship kind of evolve and take that next step and kind of working as coworkers rather than just a coach and player situation. And it's a situation where I think officially coach step who had been the tight ends coach, last year but had been the tight ends and running backs coach the first year coach Elliott was here it's a situation where they could ask him to kind of step back into the original role he had and split up his time but also knowing that dan would be there it seems like dan is going to be learning on his feet a good bit because the job isn't nearly as simple as just i want to coach and i like football like there is a lot that goes into the profession and that Dan is going to now be learning without having done it in any more minor capacity before. But I think he's going to understudy under coach Elliott, under coach Glenn, who was his coach uh, as the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach and under coach step, who's also probably going to be helping out the running backs. And if Dan is also a coach in, the 2021 season at Georgia state and beyond. I wonder if at that point, Dan becomes the coach of a specific position and it's a little more of a uh, less of a hybrid role. But I also wonder society keeps changing as it is, you know, with everything and people are finding new avenues to change professions that they're in. And so I, I'm not saying that coach Elliott is the revolutionary that's going to change how coaching is done, but it is a unique way that hasn't really been done that I've found in the research since this announcement came that having a guy right out of school, not necessarily giving a position group to specifically like, this is it. I wonder how much of this we see. I mean, it, if there's more of coaches 
want to give guys who played under them a real chance to jump into college football like this. It's also worth noting that Dan's degree he just graduated with is in education. So, I mean, it's not like he's applying something that it's, uh, let me start that over. It's also worth noting that Dan's Dan just graduated with a degree in education. So, I mean, that to me, that shows that there's at least a strong commitment to building the craft that you learn through coaching. And now that he also has the background of an education degree, like that to, to me says that he's kind of all in on, on making this something that he wants to do for a long time. So I'm really excited to see that he gets to develop that side of his kind of professional situation, you know, tool belt here at Georgia state where he was so impactful on the field, off the field, and just in the Georgia state community and kind of revitalized a lot of people's interest in Georgia state football through his, you know, time out as a player. And it's also worth noting uh, the equipment manager this past year was an alumni of the program, Nate Simon. He was a safety 2014 and 15, I want to say. Um, but this is the first position coach, as it were, hired full-time assistant that's a Georgia State alum. And it's definitely a lot sooner than I was expecting to have this happen. But I was wondering, you know, like, who is going to be the first alum that comes back? Like, it's been something, I don't know if I've pontificated upon it on the Thursday night airwaves, but I've definitely in private had thoughts about and talked to people about, you know, like, it's going to be cool when this comes up where Georgia State is hiring their own alum, because that happens in a lot of programs across the country. And so, it's happening sooner than expected, but let's not lose sight of just that it is cool that there's a Georgia State alum who went through the program who is now a full-time member of the staff. And that is how you get to a place where there's a sustained tradition of pride in the program. And that's a big recruiting boon, I'm sure, too, because if a guy that's you know a junior, sophomore in high school right now sees that, and wants to get into coaching, then there is at least a, a like a roadmap for them to follow if they come in, do the work, you know, do the right thing, and maybe set yourself up for like there's you know you get what I'm saying like there's a roadmap now that Dan has laid out that that could be a big thing in you know the the recruiting game, especially here in such a hotbed of Georgia football talent like we've got here. Yeah, they got to be Dan Ellington though if they want to do that, like. <laughs> There's a certain amount of this that it is like it's the person like it isn't necessarily like Coach Elliott was looking for a Georgia State alum to add to the coaching staff. I think it was just he caught lightning in a bottle when he he recruited a Mississippi quarterback out of a Juco. And he came and, you know, even from his own accounts that he wasn't like set on Dan being the quarterback when he got in, like he wasn't recruiting him and saying like this, Dan, this is your job. Like he was battling with the guys that were on campus. And then in the middle of the spring practice before his junior year, the first spring practice, he was there. They had a conversation where I think it clicked for coach Elliott, but I know I'd have to ask him, you know, at, at that point, did he expect that two years down the line, he'd be hiring him as an assistant coach and just, right. The, no, that's the, not what the, I was trying to the journey. No, no, I'm just saying like, it, it would be curious to, to, for him to reflect on, you know, this was that guy who was just battling for the quarterback job two years ago. And now he's on your staff. Like that's just such a journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think more what the point I was trying to make is that like, if the goal is to keep 
qualified and you know talented people around the program this is the way that you do it like you show that this is something that you're making a uh that you're making a part of your program like that's exciting for somebody that not even that they want to be like an assistant offensive coach but like you said that we have a georgia state alum you know uh, uh somebody coming from the program that was a equipment manager like that kind of stuff is something that i'm interested to see if this hiring of Dan Ellington has any effect down the future of people wanting to stick around the program, kind of establishing that as part of the the program culture. Yeah. I mean, the, the dream is having a, an army of grad assistants and people in other positions like equipment manager, like we have now where it is people connected to Georgia state. Cause I mean, that's, that is how you, you grow the, uh, the love from the alums and we are seeing that in basketball. The, the uh, alums, the recent alums of the basketball program are very active on social media, talking with each other, talking about Georgia State, watching games. And, you know, that's something that Georgia State probably hasn't had for any part of their history before now. Is even just the outpouring of outward interest from recent alums. I mean, that's what winning does in basketball, in football. I mean, that that is the ultimate thing that breeds that kind of thing but it is maybe the knock that georgia state has had from other programs that have more of that history just because they've been around longer is that other places have stuff like that and now we're starting to see that build through this through twitter interactions you know and that is what is going to lead to the next step for georgia state as an athletic institution in other football adjacent news, we have a new Sunbelt Conference logo, and the reception is lukewarm at best. What are our thoughts? That's a very charitable way of describing the reception. I'm, hey man, I'm not trying to get blackballed by the Sunbelt Conference. <laughs> well, you're not going to get blackballed unless you say some of the stuff people were saying on the Facebook post. But we're not going to do that because we are mature adults and objective-based journalists. But uh, anyway, I think just personal thoughts on the logo. It's not... I don't think it's really a step forward so much as it is just kind of a, hey, we want to try and fit in with everybody else by going to an initialism or whatever. But like the SBC thing with the sun is really kind of hard to read if you're not specifically looking for the letters SBC. Seems to me kind of like, oh, we want to be like the SEC and have just an initialism and get rid of the little orange slice logo. But, uh, it just means know. slightly less more. <laughs> <laughs> now that's going to get us blackballed by the uh, Sunbelt Conference, but uh, I will, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that in because that's good, but let's continue. I, I will say that the one thing I can't uh, find the exact tweet I'm thinking of, but I did see someone who tweeted in response. It was like, my first grade daughter so excited because her class submitted this as a logo and it won. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, so we're going to so put this right up here on the refrigerator so everyone can see it. If you're listening and that was you, sorry for not being able to give you credit because I couldn't find this tweet, but uh, I thought that was the best response I saw. Um, I guess the thing that doesn't add up for me is that this kind of leaked. I don't remember exactly when it was. It was oh, it definitely it was like it months was ago. Like, or March. Yeah. yeah, it was it, during basketball season. It I leaked think. from South Alabama's practice field that they were, I think, constructing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the reaction then was, well, 
I kind of hope this isn't real. That would be kind of a lame thing. And there was a lot of like this. The cat got out of the bag a little and the response wasn't like, maybe we should rethink this. Like they just were like, well, we've we've made the change. We're going along with it. So <laughs> the um, leak was very reminiscent of when the plot line of Game of Thrones season eight got oh, I was like, wow, there's no way it's going to be that bad. And then it was that bad. They're like, man. <laughs> somewhere there's a neckbeard screaming at his tv i told you wait but. it's me it's God, me <laughs> why is georgia state the only school that doesn't have the six logos we i'm so glad you asked david there's a very specific explanation that i spent time researching because i want to contribute to the podcast but anyway so the guy <laughs> the guy <laughs> oh god one of the uh, designers on the logo redesign rebranding thing actually addressed this question on his twitter what he said was that they actually consulted with each member school about how they wanted their brand to be represented. And after some back and forth, the uh, Georgia State folks and the firm that did the rebranding came to the conclusion that the two-tone thing wasn't going to work for Georgia State just because our colors are blue and white. And the whole blue and white on a white background, blue and white on a blue background with like the white thing in the middle just wasn't going to work. So they left Georgia State as the solid all blue all in with the uh, white, blue and the anthracite backgrounds, respectively. And if you go to the Sunbelt website, they actually have an Adobe Spark presentation type thing about how all the different schools have their logos set up. And all of them have six. Uh, funnily enough, Arkansas State and Louisiana have pretty much exactly the same, except the colors are flipped on the two-tone. Louisiana has the black on top and the red on bottom, and Arkansas State is the other way around. Yeah, I feel like Georgia State absolutely could have done that. I, I'm, I'm not going to step on any toes or anything. I like um, it, personally. And I, that's the one thing I'll say. If you're looking at the actual Sunbelt Conference logo, I think the SBC is a little hard to read. But if you're looking at the individual schools' logos, it like Georgia good. State's, it looks fine. Like it looks, it's a pretty decent looking logo. And on uniforms, it looks even better. They had a mock up of it. I wish I could find it. I should have yeah. bookmarked it. But I yeah. think for me, the answer is going to be similar to my answer on the Atlanta Falcons rebranding uniforms is that I have to see it on the field, on the uniform. Just seeing the logos out of context doesn't really tell me. I am worried because I can't really pin down whether it's a really 70s or a really 90s logo, and it's 2020, so I'd hope it'd be neither. <laughs> but, you know, schools, conferences want to rebrand. It, it had been, I don't know, a decade, so brand experts at the Sun Belt were probably getting antsy and like, we need to try something new. I didn't really have a problem with the old one. Uh, it's clean. I, I guess you can't say it was the perfect logo. So that's the reason why you could definitely look at replacing it if you want to. But I do appreciate that this came out during the, uh, the quarantine, just, you know, not a whole lot's going on. So let's give all the Sunbelt fan bases something concrete to yell about. Well, another, especially if they were like, you know, this isn't getting received well. So this will drive up interest because there isn't sports happening right now. Maybe if there was any uh, additional thought towards that, I appreciate the grind. Well, one good thing that did come out of this is on that same presentation that I was referencing earlier, they have a mock up of the new Sunbelt tournament basketball court, which is moving to Pensacola. Ostensibly, I'm glad if you we have sports, because I wanted to talk about that as well, because it looks like an actual basketball court. 
never ever do the city skyline on the baseline ever ever again it's the my skyline, least the, favorite hmm. thing about regular like conference tournament games is when they get trying to get to just too cute too cute with the like the design on the court it is so distracting it would have been better had the skyline not been the same shade of blue as the logo the and of the, the outside line. of the like sideline. There's, no, yeah. there's no clear delineation <laughs> on where the bounds of play begin and end. It's just a free for all. It's just chaos. It was so it. ugly. So, yeah, it looks a lot better. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's basically just a normal basketball court with light colored wood and the enormous SBC logo at midcourt. And then it has Sunbelt Conference like spelled out in the same logo type inside the arc. It's going to make it's it a clean. lot easier for when next year Georgia State is in the Sunbelt Championship game and Justin Roberts pulls up for like two and a half feet beyond the arc and we can say that it was from the logo because this thing is huge. <laughs> like it literally like uh, for, for reference, the RJ shot would have been like almost all the way to the B in this yeah. SBC logo. Like it is it is large. I agree. It would have been awkward to have the New Orleans skyline in Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> so, I mean, well, now we can just replace it with the iconic Pensacola skyline. Does Pensacola even have a skyline? Hey, now you're an all star. <laughs> we're not. We're not being coastal elites about this. Well, I guess there's a coast in Pensacola too. Yeah, that's kind of the whole draw for Pensacola, as far as Pensacola I can remember. Pensacola does have a skyline featuring featuring a Ferris wheel. Oh, okay. That's that's kind of fun. Maybe we shouldn't talk smack. I mean, Atlanta has a Ferris wheel too, so I don't know why they think they're special. But I'm envisioning like a skyscraper <laughs> size Ferris wheel. Like I'm just yeah, a but does their one. Ferris wheel cost seventeen dollars per person to go on? I don't probably. Think so. it, it actually uh, might. It's probably <laughs> it's probably a tourist trap. Anyway, this is quickly devolving. But uh, yeah, rebrands are always fun. It gives a lot of fodder, and I'm just personally glad they did not do the stupid blue and black thing and give Georgia Southern blue and white because. Uh, our colors are blue and white. But there's in our the two, but we were there. <laughs> it is in the fight song. That's correct. Some other quarantine inspired uh, discussion topics I have for you guys. Do you think that any sort of pandemic impact on the college football season could see a change in the way that we are scheduling our games for at least this upcoming season, if not? moving forward but do you think that there's going to be any impact on the sunbelt schedule or georgia state's football schedule this year because of the coronavirus situation maybe not specifically georgia state but i know definitely a lot of schools especially in i know it may not be the same now but a while back the pac-12 was talking about not playing because the california uh, university system was basically like hey we're not going to have sports that could have changed by the time that this airs but I think it's going to be a thing where a lot of schools are going to have to reevaluate their out of conference games. And a lot of conferences are going to have to say, all right, well, if these people aren't going to play, we're just going to play our schedule. We're going to go down to local travel. We're going to play without fans or this, that, and the other, but it's too early to call. Honestly, I think because a lot of universities wouldn't have had people report for summer workouts anyway, until like June or July. And it's the second week of May. So I think we still have a little bit of time, and if things continue the way they have been going, not necessarily with the progression of the virus, but the progression politically and with people either willing to accept that this is something that's going to affect society in a certain way or just powering on regardless, I don't think we know enough yet. Yeah, I agree with that. Um I will say, I think bowl games, we're going to have to have a long conversation about bowl games. Um, 
and especially for a conference like the Sun Belt, um, I think the reality is that they're those bowl games that they have the I think it was four or five that they have. Those are already going to be difficult for teams to go to anyways, um, which, I you know, that would suck if they took a lot of bowl games away. Um, I think even without speaking of the virus, um, financially, the situation across sports is in a very precarious place right now. You know, you've seen some I haven't heard of any that have been connected to Georgia State, but I know that Cincinnati cut its soccer team, Bowling Green cut its baseball team this week. Um, so, you know, you could definitely see bowl games be affected and companies not want to take a loss because especially since there won't be any fans there, you know, maybe companies won't want to, you know, put their name on a bowl game and there'll be less bowl games to have because of that. Um, and I know schools might be wary of travel, um, because I know some schools are already wary of travel during normal circumstances. So as far as Georgia state specific schedule, you know, I think you could probably see a conference only schedule. The Sunbelt's kind of a close conference anyways. Most conferences are. So uh, there's definitely room for a team like Georgia state to take a bus everywhere, even though that it would suck, but that's definitely something that's doable. As of now, which as Jordan alludes to, it is still very early and we don't really know. Constantly in flux. Yeah. My guess right now is that everyone's going to do conference only schedule if they do play games. Because I think it might be up to different conferences and certain conferences might just say it isn't feasible. And whereas other conferences like the SEC sound like they're planning on plowing ahead with football as normal because they kind of need to subsidize their athletic departments with football tickets, which I mean, that's just the nature of the business is that football drives a lot of the revenue for these schools. I just, I, I think that the conversation needs to happen of realistically, what kind of, what is the outcomes we are looking to achieve with college football this year? Because if it's business as normal and it has to be 12 game schedule and six wins, get you a bowl eligibility and everyone plays in bowl games I don't know. That seems like a little more pie in the sky. And it seems like it's easy enough for like Alabama to say, yes, we want to have a full SEC schedule and Auburn's coming to us this year. So we want to play the iron bowl, but it'd be easy for them to say, but we don't really know if we want to schedule Georgia state in September and have them come over. And so I think that that is where I would see the conference schedule being what sticks is that there's every reason to have the conference decided if you're playing football, there isn't necessarily a reason to play non-conference games. There's no, aside from any rivalries that exist in any of those, but uh, you know, you can live without Georgia, Georgia tech for a year. If that's what it comes to, I, I'm not a part of the rivalry. So obviously I, it might be blasphemy to say that, but I think that the easiest way to make something out of the season is have it just be conference season and then work out whatever that comes to, whether it's just conference championships happen and the winners, of the conference champions play in some form of a playoff or whatever. I don't know how the end game works out. And I, I off air have been skeptical about plans that overly overhaul the nature of how you decide championships. So Short answers, I don't know, but I I would lean towards I don't expect a 12-game season at this point. I think if we don't have a 12-game season, we can kiss bowls goodbye, except for possibly the college football playoff. 
but yeah i yeah. agree with that i which is tricky because that basically would mean you know georgia state season doesn't happen you know a, a short of just winning the conference championship any pot of gold at the end of the rainbow are you trying to tell me that georgia state football is not making the cfp this year well, it nothing's happened until, yet. We don't know. We it don't took know. until the Western Michigan <laughs> loss this past year to get eliminated. So, um, a reduced schedule really does a whole lot of damage to my dream of a hashtag 10 win Georgia State. I'll say that. It does. Yes, you're right. If there are only eight games, it will be very hard for Georgia State to win 10 games. Mm, not if you're in base eight counting, but that's uh... <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> that two joke people, really worked that, for the people, people that, that listen that. to this podcast caught that joke and both of them are on this call right now <laughs> uh, but it, you know it could just be one of those things where it's a blessing in disguise to have this kind of thing come around at a time when theoretically there's a lot of uncertainty that's possible in the offensive scheme especially as dan moves from starting quarterback to position coach assistant offensive coach but uh I don't know. Jordan is pivoting to lowered expectations. That's not what I was saying. I'm just saying everyone who was not on this podcast and not in like intimate and detailed knowledge of the Georgia State football program is like, oh, well, you lost Dan Ellington. You're going to be garbage. Like we know that's not going to be the case. There's good people coming in and there's people that have been coming up in the system like Jamil Muhammad, who did not play last year, but practiced basically the entirety of it or this offseason, at least. And you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater until you're sure the bathwater is bad, if that even makes any sense. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely too early to say it. I will say it does suck a little bit for the young quarterbacks to lose spring practice. In the event that football happens this year and it starts with fall camp, it sounds like, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline, but I don't think they really got any full pad practice. I think they got, cause you have to start off spring practice in just helmets and shells. And then you ramp up to full pads. And I think by the time Georgia state was really going to be doing the full all out practices, everything started getting canceled. So that is the one tick that is going to be a problem for Georgia state's offense is just that they're going to have lost that spring development, which matters because you're going to have a guy who hasn't started a game no matter what as the quarterback next year. But that's why they pay guys like Brad Glenn, the big bucks to ramp up the offense anyway, because it's going to be the problem that everyone has to deal with. That is the only positive in this is that any disadvantage you have because of the coronavirus also applies to every other program. All right, so before we get you guys out of here this week, we did have a question. Uh, Mike from Marietta wants to know, now that the Yellow Jackets are on the basketball schedule, who else would you like to see this year? I know that was uh, one of our pipe dream things the last time we kind of talked about this, and uh, it happened now. So what do you guys think? Who else would you want to see? I think in this new, as we just talked about with football, I don't think that the regional local teams teams you can go to without having to fly i don't think that is changing necessarily for basketball either i think that is a factor for this season it just is an inevitable thing that playing teams close to you that you can get to i'm sure it was a, a factor in this series getting signed off on for 2020 and i would expect 
and be okay with the idea of playing some local teams. Maybe schedule something with like UAB, who's two hours away. Yeah, just about. Uh, if there were any year where you would see a little bit more mainstream home and homes in basketball, which are usually a pretty rare thing, this would be the year I might expect to see Georgia State schedules UAB and they play a road game and a home game with Georgia State. And something like that maybe with other schools, someone like Chattanooga, which is another local game where teams fill up their non-conference schedule and still get the games, but it's less distinct different teams and a more travelable by bus and less miles or plane trips, whatever. And so that's where I would lean and just lean into it and schedule some teams like that, that you might want to play a team at that level anyway. And this might be a time where you can get them on the schedule and get them into Atlanta. Yeah, I agree. I think UAB, like you were saying, uh, also Middle Tennessee, uh, Georgia State played them in basketball a couple of years back, and that was a pretty good game. Georgia State uh, walked out of their arena with the W. But there's a lot of quote-unquote peer-type institutions, at least athletically, within a couple hours' drive that you could easily do, whether that be your Chattanooga, your MTSU, your UAB, or even look at some of the schools in South Carolina, North Carolina, maybe. Like, you don't have to travel across the country to do these games if it's going to be an issue of safety, security, or if we get a second wave of the virus in the fall or anything. Oh, There's a man. lot of options. Oh, I mean, man. You know it's going to happen. Give us the Citadel. Thursday night series. Yes. If we schedule the Citadel, then me and David will go into our fascination with the Citadel basketball program. Um, So I I really want that to happen now. Um, I I guess my answer is now going to be the Citadel. The reason I just stated it also just because I'm fascinated by their arc over the past five years. We love winning games 155 to 148. It's funny. Troy V. DeVry has entered the chat. (laughs) I was going to pick a a team from the Southern Conference. I was going to say Eastern, sorry, I was going to say East Tennessee State. But I have to go to the Citadel now. Like, that's that's obviously the answer. They're going to come to the sports arena. They're going to score 100 points. Georgia State's going to score 130. And it's going to be the best basketball game of all time. Not if you play defense. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I did see some comments on uh, the Twitter post where Mike replied to our solicitation for questions where some were talking about like a, a Cincinnati or a UGA type thing, UGA is not going to schedule us again. Like that, that's, that's not happening. Not for at least another 10 years after the way we whooped them. But Cincinnati it, would be fun, but they're, they're far away. Happen, I don't think it's going to happen. If it was going to happen, they would have immediately redone it when they had signed the consensus top five recruit in Anthony Edwards. Right. <laughs> if there's like, all right, we'll get you back now. We got our lottery pick. Um, to, yeah, I mean, Every time we have questions like this, it invariably leads to one of us being like, let's play Cincinnati, but actually in conference because let's join the American. And please, I guess we should avoid doing that just because. <laughs> well, conference realignment is actually a very yeah. apt topic right now at risk of derailment. Maybe we can go into that a little bit once we talk about a few more teams. But that's uh, th- I mean, there's, there's so many options without being ridiculous or memeing or whatever. There's a lot of schools within a day's drive that are good peers, both academically and athletically that would just make so much sense. Go go play people that are local. You don't have to fly across the country to play Our Lady of the Third Floor Bathroom just because they went to the NCAA tournament five years ago. 
Oh, I don't remember that team. I don't think I watched that yeah. game. But Baked Potato <laughs> State's resume, Jordan. The resume <laughs> is what matters. <laughs> and the Ugh. thing uh, from the Georgia Tech news is in the press release, even press release, even coach of the year mentioned that both of them were looking for regional teams. So I don't just say it out of hand. I think that that is going to be something that teams are looking at based on their own quotes on the idea is that the, the ultimate thing that made them pull the trigger on this series was playing close teams, playing local teams. So we went full circle there. Yeah. Back to the Georgia tech news. All right. So I think that just about does it for uh, this episode. Thanks again, Mike, for your question and a lot of good discussion off of that. Uh, before we get you guys out of here, I did want to remind you that we do have some content up on the site that you might not have seen uh, when the news about Dan becoming a coach got announced. We did a piece on that. We've also got uh, a piece on the all decade team for offense for the football team that came out uh, last month. We do have a companion piece for the defense coming out soon as we are able to get that finished up. But just make sure you go check out those things if you haven't already. And as always, if you have anything you want us to talk about, feel free to reach out. We're always enjoying and willing to talk to fans and people that are interested in Georgia State sports. Uh, do we have anything else, guys? Oh, other than that, go Panthers. Everyone stay safe. Hopefully you and your family and your loved ones are uh, in a safe place and holding down and getting through this all right. So. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Have a fantastic day and go Panthers. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.